China. Thanks for calling in, my friend. You're welcome, bro. How you feeling? I know you were sick. Yes, I was. Uh, you know how it is with malaria in Nigeria, but uh, I'm better now. I'm much better. Blogger, media manager, chairman of Nigerian professional soccer. Now you're an author. Is there anything you don't do? Um, I've not been to space yet. <laughs> Are you going to go to space? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> So I said you're an author. Congratulations on your new book, A Thousand Times on the Same Road. I love the book. I gave it five stars. What inspired you to write this book? I wanted to tell a story, bro. Now, um, when I was a kid, I been watching the Nigerian League, and every time I watched a game, I took a note to record every single game I've watched in the league. So when I did a thousand games in 2018, I remember a guy from the BBC was there and he asked me, he said, now you've done a thousand games. You want to do 2000? What's your next milestone? And I said, well, I've slowed down a bit on traveling, but I know that if you've been to the stadium a thousand times, you have a thousand stories to tell. And that was why we had the idea of a book came out. I said, okay, a thousand times at the stadium, start telling your story now. And I went to work and that, that's where we are now. How has the response been with the book? Does everyone love it? A lot of good response, good feedback? Yes, so far there has not been a bad feedback. Well, I hope they're not just trying to lie to me, but um, so far the, the, the feedback has been great, right? People tell me, I read your book and it seemed like you are sitting in my room talking to me. People call me up and say, hey guy, I read your book and it looked like I traveled with you for all those games. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy what I get because, hey, Mike, when I plan to write that book, I wanted people to be part of my story. I wanted people to read that book and think they are in a movie script, in a movie, in a, in a movie and see themselves like a character in that movie. That was my plan. And when people call me and tell me all of this, I think I've succeeded, Mike. I, th I think I have. My only complaint about the book, no pictures. Oh, you have oh. all these great stories about hanging out with these guys, checking out this stadium, the traveling, and yet no pictures. Why no pictures in the book about your great travels? There should have been, a picture. There should have been pictures, right? <laughs> I, it would have been too big. Too, there would have been too many pages on that book. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had loads of pictures, Mike, loads of pictures. But I'm here thinking, what do I do? A picture, a page, or a picture, a chapter? What was I going to do? And... At some point, I say, hey, guy, just write, write the text and leave the picture out of it. I should have had pictures. I agree with you. I should have had pictures. Over a thousand games, we've talked about it. Has soccer or well, football always been your life? Has it always been the most important thing in your life? Yes. Um, when I was, um, let me see, 1984, I was 12 years old then, and I was in, I was in secondary school. I, I don't know what you guys call it there, but we call it secondary school here. Um I was watching the opening games of the Los Angeles Olympic Games, right? And I was sat in my dad's parlor watching the opening games as the different countries, the athletes are marching out right there in the stadium. And there were two guys on TV. They're both late now. They're both gone. They're dead now. I, I, you may never, never have heard about them. One, was, one of them was called Yinka Craig, and the other was called Akinloye Oyebanji. Great men, great Nigerian broadcasters. And as a 12-year-old, I was watching, and I really enjoyed what they were doing. I told myself, hey, you could do this someday. And from that day, 1984, I started watching sports. I started reading sports newspapers. I said everything sports was me. 
And that was because those two men inspired me. I loved the energy between them. I liked what they were doing. And from that day in 84, like I said, I was 12 years old then, I began to think I could do this. And my life became, it wasn't just football, it was sports. It was sports. I was doing everything. I was watching football on TV. I was watching handball. I was watching basketball. I was watching everything, everything. And that was how I started, basically. Did you ever meet those two guys and told them what influence you had in their life, they had in your life? Unfortunately, no, I never did. I never did. I never did. Twice I got close. Twice I got close, but I never did. I found it fascinating. You've been to all these sporting events. How did you possibly narrow the book down to 200 and something pages? Was that difficult? Very, very difficult. <laughs> very difficult. When, when I started that book, I said, okay, boy, let's just write 10 chapters. Because from the day I started, I typed myself and I was just typing and I couldn't stop. So I did 10 chapters and I said, it's not enough. Let's do 11 chapters. I did 11. I said, hey, let's do 12. <laughs> let's do 13. Then let's do 14. And I said, oh boy, if you don't stop now, you're going to write 30 chapters in one book. So, and that was why if, if you read the epilogue, I said, there'll be a volume two and maybe a volume three. I love that. You can't put a thousand stories in one book. It's not possible. It's not possible. So I had to pick, I can't even say I picked my best. I had to pick the first, the first 14 that came to my mind. And you'll be shocked to hear that I've already outlined 14 chapters of volume two. I've done that already. So just for me to start. So it was not possible to have just 14 chapters. It's a thousand games. You can't put all in one book. <laughs> Soccer in Nigeria, China, it, it, do they care more about the league games? Because you explained how passionate they were, or the World Cup. What will be more important to those guys, winning some World Cup matches or winning the league? In the 80s, in the 80s and maybe early 90s, Nigerians were very passionate about their football club, very passionate. Uh, Nigerian clubs would fill up their stadiums, 16,000, 20,000, 30,000, 60,000 would wow. fill it up in a league game. But this is not, it's not like that these days because a lot of our best players are out in Europe. So we don't have that kind of passion. Yes, there are a few clubs like Cano Pillars. Cano Pillars have a stadium that sits 40,000. They fill that up every league game. Wow. Cano Pillars. They fill it up every league game. They are, they are, they are a different breed. Um, a club like Rangers in the southeast of Nigeria, their stadium sits about 18,000. They fill it up. Okay. Right? But most clubs actually struggle to fill up their stadium, a lot of them. But when it comes to the national team, the Super Eagles, yeah, we want to play in the AFCON, want to watch the World Cup games, everybody comes out. In a place like Portacourt, where I live, we have a stadium in Portacourt that seats um, 45,000 people in Portacourt. Now, the, the local club in Portacourt, Rivers United, they can't even get 3,000 fans at their games. Wow. They can't. So they can't. But if the Super Eagles come to Portacourt, they're going to fill up 45,000. So it's, it's neither here nor there. In some parts of the country, they still love their club football. In other parts, like the part I mean, they, they don't care much about club football. They just care about the national team, the World Cup, the AFCON, maybe the Olympic Games. That's the way it is. What's the state of Nigerian football right now? Like you said, a lot of players are playing overseas, in England, all over. What's the state of soccer there now? Are they still loving it? Is it still passionate? Is it still competitive? It's, it's still um, passionate to an, ex, to, to, to an extent. Like I said earlier, um, it depends on... Okay, let, let, let me break down Nigeria into four regions. North, South, East, and West. 
in the north, they, they are still passionate about their club football. They will fill up their stadiums every week. I can name the clubs, Canopillas, Plateau United, Wikitories, Academy Warriors. Um, the club did not, the fans still enjoy football. Now, in the East, we have the likes of Rangers, the likes of Ayimba. They fill up their stadium, they do. In the, in the West, it's here and there. But in the South, where I come from, in the South of Nigeria, they really don't care anymore. They don't care. They, they would rather sit at home and watch a European League game than go to the stadium to watch a Nigerian League game in the south of Nigeria. And that's where I'm from. And why is that? In the 90s, right, there was um, a lot of violence in our stadium in the 90s. A lot of violence, you know, people got robbed going to games, people got beaten up. And truth be told, when, when you're robbed on your way to the stadium and it happens consistently, you might choose to sit at home for the next few games. And when you sit at home, you drink a beer, you watch Chelsea versus Liverpool, nobody mm -hmm. robs you. So you might just tell yourself, I would rather stay at home than get, get robbed if I go to the stadium. So I think that that affected us a lot. And you know, when people turn their backs on something and find a better alternative, it's difficult for them to go back. So I think that's what happened to us here. I thought New York fans were crazy. I thought Boston fans were crazy. You talked about some of the fans out there. They're crazy. What was the chapter? Was it Cano? Cano? Those fans seem out of control. No, yes, yes, they are. In, in Cano, they love their club, right? Now, it's different when you go to somewhere in the south or somewhere in the east of Nigeria and a stadium seats maybe 30,000 and the home team, the home team could have 25,000 from those 30, and the away team has 5,000. At least they have some support. Now, in Kano, if the stadium sees 40,000, I assure you that 39,900 are Kano Pillars fans. <laughs> I assure you. So, and all they know is Kano Pillars. You know, you know, Kano Pillars spent 13 years playing, and they never lost at home. 13 years. Wow. 13 years until they lost in 2017 to a club called Nasarawa United. But before 2017, they have not lost a home game for, for 13 years. That's how, one, good they are, and two, that's how aggressive their fans are. You go into that ground, right? You see the fans. You hear them shout, man, man, man. If you, have, if you don't have the hats, you'll you, you freeze. China, writing a book like this, was it difficult for you to um, tell funny stories, to do investigatory journalism, to tell about football? Was it hard to combine all of it? Yes. Um, I, I wanted to tell a story people will, people will enjoy, like you enjoyed my story. So I wanted a story people will enjoy. Now, there are really lots of ugly things about Nigerian football. There are lots of scandals, right? But I tried not to do scandals. I, did my, I tried my best not to do scandals. Uh, I wanted people to read it and see a part of Nigerian football they can laugh about, they can maybe cry about, then laugh again. That was my plan. So I added humor to everything. Now, even that chapter in chapter five in my hotel room, when the area, when the when the thugs are knocking at my door, mm -hmm. you know, remember that chapter? You know, yeah, they want they wanted to kill you. It, yes, they did want to kill me, but but I made it sound funny. I made it something people could laugh about, but. That night, it wasn't funny. So I tried to make my book um, witty, uh, humorous, enjoyable, 
And it was not easy, it was difficult because at some point I wanted to let go. And I could have let go. Mm. Maybe I'll let go in my chapter two, my volume two, just maybe. But for this one, I wanted to just play down a bit, just make people enjoy the stories behind Nigerian football. That's what I wanted to do. So yes, it was difficult to do that because there was really a lot I could talk about I didn't want to talk about. You had me laughing. I knew I was going to like the book in the beginning when you said uh, teams were very superstitious, China. And you said some teams will stay in like a brothel hotel if a previous team have, has won there. They think it's good luck, right? Yeah, yeah. We believe, <laughs> <laughs> we believe a, lot of, a lot of things. Now, in that game, right, when the team boss drove into that place, I looked at the team manager. I said, hey, what are we doing here? And he went... Just don't worry. I said, don't worry about what? He said, no, the last team that came to Kano stayed here and did not lose. So let's enjoy it. It's just two nights. So I was really angry. I was really angry, but we drew that game. And they looked at me and said, I told you so. So we believe in all of this. <laughs> there, there are really lots of superstitious beliefs in Nigeria. Now, there, there is one uh, I, didn't, I didn't talk about in the book. Now, when you go to an away venue, the home team believes they must get to the stadium before the away team. And they believe if the away team gets to the stadium first, it's bad luck to them. So they can go as far as the hotel the away team is lodging and shut the gates just to make sure the away team does not drive out and get to the stadium. Yeah, it's funny, yes. Laugh at us if you will. Laugh, just laugh. Enjoy yourself. Laugh at us. But, 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 but we believe in it. I'd been to a, a league game that was in 2005. Incidentally, the hotel we lodged, the home team also lodged in that hotel. And we, uh, we love to keep to time at Dolphins. So when the referee said, when the referee told us earlier in the day that arrival time at the stadium is 2.30 for a game that starts at 4 p.m., we tell ourselves that by a quarter to two, we should be in the team bus. Okay. So at the quarter to two, we're in the team bus. Now, the home team was in the hotel, and they were watching us from their rooms. They were not ready. So they sent, they, they sent their bus driver. He drove his bus across the hotel gates so we couldn't go out. And there's nothing we did not do. He just parked the team bus across the hotel gates. So our players just sat in the bus waiting for them until their players were ready. Their players got into the bus, and they got to the stadium before us. So we believe in a lot, of, a lot of all those things. Do they really work? I don't know, but we believe in those things. <laughs> you also mentioned um, like the fixing of the games. You talked about the Dolphins and the Sharks, and it kind of goes high up in government. Is that kind of known there? Like you accept it a little bit that there's some fixing of the matches and stuff? Yeah, you know, um, why it happened in Poshakwa, Dolphins and Sharks, is because both clubs are owned by the same state government. And that's why FIFA frowns against it. It frowns against you know, one entity owning two clubs. But it happens a lot in Nigeria. In River State then, which is where I come from, the River State government owns dolphins and sharks. In nearby states to where I'm Abia State, currently they own two clubs, Abia Warriors and Ayimba, all in the Nigeria Professional Football League. Now, move further down south, there's another state called Akwaibom State. They own two clubs, Aqua United and Dakada FC. So, it happens a lot in Nigeria. A lot of clubs are owned by state governments, and because they're owned by the same person, they can get into little arrangements. Like, okay, 
your team is stopping the table, you need just three points to win the league, and you're playing against the other team that is still owned by me. Okay, they tell you that team, just throw the game to them. We are still one. Let them win the league. So it happened a lot at that time. I don't know if it still happens now because maybe, maybe, but mm-hmm. it used to happen a lot. Yeah, it happened a lot then. You mentioned some home field advantages and how on the certain pitches that teams haven't lost in 13 years. Do you think now with Corona and no fans that it's going to change a little bit? It's going to change a lot. It's going to change a lot because it's like um, it's like when you watch European football, I'm a Liverpool fan myself, and a few times Liverpool had been to Istanbul to play against either Galatasaray or Besiktas. They will tell you, especially in the mid-80s, they will tell you when you walk into the locker room at Istanbul, you see this big sign that says, welcome to hell. You know? So home fans have a way of, you know, intimidating their weight team. They have a way of doing it. And when you're in a Nigerian stadium that you have 40,000 home fans and maybe just 25 away fans, really, 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 you're going to be, you're going to be intimidated. So a lot, of, a lot of clubs in Nigeria, they, they win because of the home advantage. They have their fans. Now, take those fans away. It's just me and you in mm-hmm. the peace fights. And anybody can win in that fist fight. So it's going to change a lot. The league should kick off next weekend, December 6th. The league kicks off next, should kick off next weekend, December 6th. And I expect a lot of away wins. Okay. A lot of wins. Probably in the first six or seven match days, I expect a lot of away wins because it's empty stadium. So if you're good enough, you can go there and pick a win. When do you guys think you'll have fans again? I don't know. Um, we have um, we have a body called the Presidential Task Force on COVID-19. They decide on all of these things. They have scientists, they have doctors in their midst. They decide. Um, it was they that decided that football can resume. That was two months ago. Okay. And they also said football can resume but without fans. But we're hoping that we're hoping that probably by March the 10th, by March the 10th. They could let the fans come back because truly, truly, you know, you know, sports without fans, no. very boring. You know that. Yeah, so we're hoping, but for now, we just want to start the league. Let's just get it started. And hoping that by the time the league starts, probably by March the 8th, March the 9th, we can have the fans back. You told so many stories. You know, like you said, you told them funny, but there was some shadiness with some referees and the violence and you almost getting killed. So you talked a little bit about the negative of Nigerian soccer. What's some of the best parts of the football out there in Nigeria? Yeah, uh, for me, for me, the best part of the football is um, traveling. I, I, I love to be on the road. The best part is traveling. Now, then there's the excitement right there in the stands on the terrace. Now, if you watch football from home, it cannot be the same as watching at the stadium. Mm. Then, then three... It's about getting to know the players now because you are always regular at the stadium. The players begin to see you as, okay, that's a football writer. Mm-hmm. You can get whatever interview you want. For me, that, 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 that's the fun of it. Um, the football on the pitch is decent, really, it's decent. Um, not, a, a lot of Nigerian league games are boring, but there are very decent games. And I'll tell you, Aimba is one of the best clubs in Nigeria. Any back game is always interesting to watch. Kano Pillars, they play very good football too. Uh, so there are some decent games you watch. So it's, it, it, for me, it's exciting then 
there's a fan experience. You know, we have these supporters clubs, right? They come with their drums, their trumpets, <laughs> they're singing, they're dancing at the stadium. You just want to sit close to them. You just want to be close to them. It, it, it changes the atmosphere of the stadium. So those, those are some of the exciting things we see at the stadium when we go and, go and watch football. And of course, the fact that, you know, there are rivalries and you want to be in a, in a game like that, where there's a rivalry, you want to be there. Uh, you, 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 you will not have any dull moment when you watch certain games. Aimba versus Rangers, Kano Pillars versus Plateau United, mm-hmm. Rivers United versus, you know, probably Rangers. The rivalry is great and you see a lot in those games. I've read some of your writing. You take such pride in your reporting and your writing. Does it get frustrating when you find a story? Like you said, you found a story of a 28-year-old kid playing on the 16-year-old uh, squad in Nigeria, and no one took it like that serious or it was common. Does that get frustrating for you? Because now China, in New York or in the United States, that is front page. They'll make movies about that. And yet there was a 28-year-old kid playing with a 16-year-old team, and it didn't seem like big news. Did that get frustrating for you? Yes, it did. Now, um, that was my first real encounter with it in 2000. That was in 2006, yeah. And um, I could do nothing about it because the NFL board member told me clearly, what do you want? This player will go to the World Cup. He told me clearly. Now, in 2011, also part of that book, that was my first encounter with aid cheating. And rather than the NFF do something about it, I got death, death threats by a member of the NFF. And that was the point I told myself, forget it. We are going to cheat as Nigerians. Just forget it. So I began to look away. I see it happen on a regular. But I just told myself, forget it. So yeah, that's how frustrating it got for me. Now, you see something wrong, you talk about it, and rather than get support, you get death threats. At, at that point, I said, we can cheat as much as we want. I don't care anymore. And truly, Mark, I don't care anymore. I don't. I don't. You, you mentioned death threats, and it wasn't just because of this. People want to kill you in your hotel room for stories you wrote and for things you're reporting. Two questions on that. One, why do you get so many death threats? Are you still getting them? And two, is that common that like sports reporters like get death threats? People would say they were writing uh, letters to your radio station, said they want to kill you. Is that common? <laughs> It was very common between 2003 and 2009. Okay. Very common. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last time I got a death threat was, um, let me see. The last time I got a death threat was, that would be 2015. So that's five years ago. I'm making progress. I'm getting better. You're doing good. You're doing good. <laughs> so that was the last time I got, I got a death threat because in Port Harcourt, where I come from, People are very passionate about their football, especially Sharks. Um, Sharks is like, it's a club that belongs to the people. They see it as their own, they're part of everything that happens to that club. So if you write something they don't like about the club, they look at you as an enemy. So, um, and that was why I suffered between 2003 and 2009. Uh, yes, it was common. It was common at that time, you know, the hoodlums who come to the stadium, the point out one journalist, they beat him up, or they point out the team manager of the club, they beat him up right there in public glare. I saw it a lot. I was lucky because they never got me. I was lucky, but I, it was, I was close a lot of times, very close. I was lucky they never got me, but it was very common at that time. But these days, it's not like that. Okay, let me tell you, I was at an event 
two days ago, and I met this fellow. He looked at me and he was full of praises. And he was like, the great China Acheru, the best football writer in the country, was full of praises. But I, I recognized him from 2005. So I went, remember when he wanted to kill me? He has forgotten. Remember, just, just two days back, he was full of praises. I said, yes, thank you very much, but remember in 2005, you wanted to kill me. Then he hugged me and said, that was the past. I'm not going to kill you anymore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> do, and this do, just happened two days ago. Do you still host a sports talk show over there? Yes, I do. I do. I, I do it um, Monday morning, Friday morning, and Wednesday afternoon. So I do it, I do it thrice, three times a week. I love traveling is one of my biggest passions and you had the opportunity to travel to different, the whole part of the world. You know, you went to different countries and stuff. Why haven't you ventured to New York city yet? I'm going to blame my brother for that. What happened? My brother brother lives in Maryland. He has been there since 2005. He does not want to invite me. Oh, that's a joke. (laughs) Oh, that's a joke. Um, I, I keep planning that trip to the USA. I keep planning that trip. Um, I don't know why I haven't been there yet, but I have family in the USA. Like I said, my brother lives in Maryland. He has been there since 2005. That's about 15 years now. Okay, hopefully by next year I'll be in the US and in the USA. Hopefully. You, I'm a big traveler, 70-something countries, and you've been to one of the most difficult countries in the world to visit, Equatorial Guinea. How'd you get there, and how was it there? Did you say one of the most difficult countries to be to visit? Yeah, Equatorial Guinea. It's one of the hardest countries to get a visa to. My first trip to Equatorial Guinea was in 2005, and um, it really seemed a messed up country at that time. I don't know why. It was a messed up country. Bad roads, no electricity. The hotel I stayed had no electricity for two days. It was that poor, that horrible, that horrible country in my first trip. But suddenly there was a transformation. My second trip to Equatorial Guinea was in 2011, and a lot had changed. A whole lot had changed. It had a good stadium. The stadium we played in 2005 had no grass, and that was their national stadium. It had no grass. Wow. But in 2011, I was back there, and it was massive. You know, I mean, I saw one of the most beautiful stadiums I've seen in Africa right there. So a lot changed with the country. Um, the people seemed like happy-go-lucky people. Okay. They're always partying. They're always partying. There was a party every minute of the day, morning, <laughs> afternoon, Midnight, we are always partying and all of that. And they told me something. They say, if you join our party once, you'll never go back to your country. I said, why? They said, it's very addictive. So I got scared, Mike. I didn't attend any party. (laughs) (laughs) You want to come back home to Nigeria. So China, like I said, I love traveling. I haven't been to Nigeria yet. I'm trying to go there. I would love to go there next year. How's tourism there? Is it getting better there? How's everything? Yeah, tourism is good. Uh, it's just, uh, most times we have not uh, taken tourism seriously in Nigeria. I don't know why. Probably because we have a lot of crude oil. Uh, crude oil gives us lots of money, so we think nothing else matters. But I think if we take tourism more seriously, yeah, we have lots of tourist attractions in Nigeria, lots of them. We just haven't taken it seriously. Uh, so if you're going to come to Nigeria for tourism, I would suggest um, the Southwest, the Southwest, a place called Abiokuta. I would also suggest the South-South, a place called Calabar. 
um, if you come to Nigeria, but of course, I'm sure we'll talk more on mm-hmm. that. Where we have um, some great stuff, you know. Uh, back then in Calabar, the the natives believed that when a woman has twins, one of the one of them is evil because they didn't think anybody should have two kids at the same time. Mm-hmm. That was the belief. One had to be evil. But since they are not sure which of the babies is the evil child. So one had to be sent from the devil. But since they were not sure which one was sent by the devil, they killed both of them. And that happened sometime in the early 1900s when a lady from Scotland called Mary Slessor came to Calabar and abolished the killing of twins. So the house Mary Slessor lived is a, a big tourist attraction in that, part of the, in that part of the country. You know, and um, she has lots of stuff named after her in Calabar, so um, that would be a nice place to visit if you want to do some tourism. So um, that's why I mentioned Mary Slessor and the killing of twins in Calabar, yeah. Thinking about Nigeria, obviously it's soccer, but any of the sports really popular there? Because I'll tell you this, for me, being a huge sports fan, when I think Nigerian athletes, I think obviously Giannis, Akeem Olajuwon, Christian Okoye, uh, Yinka Dare, are any are other athletes and sports like just loved over there? Yes, basketball is big. After football in Nigeria, next thing is basketball. Um, and of course, we mentioned Akim. Akim was our first big, big basketball player. Um, he started from what we call the National Sports Festival in 1979. And after that sports festival, he moved to the USA, college basketball, Houston Rockets, mm-hmm. and the rest of that. And between Akim Olajuwon, now we have had a lot of great basketball players, uh, Olimide Oyedeji, um, quite a lot of them. In the, in the last NBA draft, we had about four or five Nigerian-born yeah. players, the last NBA draft. So basketball is big. I'll have some folks in Nigeria, especially Port Harcourt, who are doing a lot for basketball. Uh, in Port Harcourt and in Nigeria, doing a lot for basketball. So yes, after football, the next big thing in Nigeria is basketball. Then a bit of boxing. Okay. Then a bit of are you a big? You still follow all the other sports? Yes, I do. I I follow football a lot. You know that already. Mm-hmm. I follow basketball. I follow boxing. I follow tennis. Even though tennis is no longer big in Nigeria, but I follow tennis. You know the Grand Slams, the ATP mm-hmm. tournaments, and all of that. I do follow tennis a lot. Basically, I watch sports. I, I I'm a voracious uh, sports lover. So anything sports, Olympic games, the Commonwealth Games, I I, I watch all of them here. Yeah. We'll talk more about Nigerian tourism when I get ready to come there. Once you guys start having fans, I'll come out there. But two questions on it. One, what's one must-try food in Nigeria that you have to try if you come there? (laughs) Uh, Mike, have you eaten a bar before? A bat? Eba, Eba, E-B-A. No. Oh, my God. What is it? It's, um, how do I describe a bar? It's a powdery stuff. You put it in hot water and it molds like clay. It molds like clay and you eat it with soup. So you cut a bit of the air back from the plate, you dip inside the soup and you swallow. And that's the must try thing there, right? Yes. yes. The beauty of a bite is not the air by itself, it's the soup. So there are different kinds of soup you can choose from. So and the air by there is no Nigerian or there is hardly any Nigerian who won't eat a bar at least once a day. 
at least once a day. What's when you travel and stuff? What's one thing that happens in Nigeria that makes you say only in Nigeria will this happen? <laughs> Power shortage. <laughs> Power outage. Yeah. Um, I'm at home right now. We have no electricity, so I have to turn on my generator. Oh wow! So uh, where I live, we have electricity for like maybe 10 hours a day. So the other 14 hours of the day, it either I stay without power or I turn on my generator. So when I go to other countries, I'm t- I'm saying every other country in Africa I've been to, I don't see this kind of situation. So when I when I come back to Nigeria, I say, oh, I'm back. No lights. <laughs> Listen, if you are a fan of traveling, soccer, funny stories, uh, corruption, every possible story, you got to read your book. Please give the plugs where everyone can follow you on Twitter, buy the book, and everything else, China. Yeah, on Twitter, I, it's called, I'm called Equileman on Twitter. That's I-K-W-E-R-R-E-M-A-N. And my Twitter is my Instagram. Same Ikoreman at, at, at Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, China Cheru on Facebook. Yeah, that's it. And now give the plug for the great book. I'm telling you, it was an amazing soccer book. And there's not a lot of good soccer books out there. And you're right. It did put you – you felt like you were in the hotel room with you. You felt like you were getting the death threats. You were in the stands with you. I loved it. So give the plug where everyone can get the book. Yeah, uh, the book is titled A Thousand Times on the Same Road. And that's also the book's website. So just go www.1000timesonthesameroad.com and you can get the book. Or you go to Amazon, amazon.com, search the book title, you can, get it, you can get it on Kindle. Yeah, that's what I did. So we don't have the hard book here in the United States yet, but I bought it on Kindle. Incredible read. I loved it. Thank you so much, my man. I really can't wait to meet you when I get to Nigeria. And then I'll find out if you, had the, if you got the massage in uh, Kandua. Is that the name of the place? <laughs> in Midrand, in Midrand. <laughs> China, this was awesome, bro. I'll keep in touch and uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Get to New York. Talk to you soon, too. Talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. You're welcome. Bye bye.